Jacob, and I serve as one of the pastors here at Desert Springs. And uh, I got to say, I am honored to be uh, preaching from this spot, uh, especially in light of the last couple weeks. Over the last two weeks, we have had some amazing preaching here at Desert Springs. Uh, two weeks ago, Linda Morris was in the house blessing us with the word. And last week, Don Farmer gave an excellent sermon. So I'm just honored to be preaching uh, from the same uh, space and, and spot that they gave such uh, powerful messages from. In fact, it's a little nerve-wracking, if you know what I'm saying, so you guys can pray for me. Hey, uh, today we are continuing, or actually we're kicking off a new series called uh, The Truth, and we're looking at what, we're looking at the nature of truth, and we're looking at our posture towards truth. So the nature of truth and our posture towards the truth. And so I want to encourage you, if you have your Bibles, to follow along with us. We're going to be in the Gospel of John. So uh, if you don't have a Bible and would like one, there are some available on the tables in the back. Uh, please feel free to take one of those as our gift to you. Uh, for those of you joining us online, if you don't have a Bible available, just open a new browser and go to Bible.com, and we're using the Christian Standard Bible today. We're going to be in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 18, this morning, looking at uh, this really powerful encounter that Jesus has uh, with a Roman governor. Uh, but before we get too far into it, uh, I did want to mention that uh, Linda and Don will both be leading at the uh, Waging Peace uh, Women's Conference, which is going to be hosted here on Friday and Saturday. So if you have not registered for that, make sure you register. You can find more information in your handouts, or you can find out uh, more information online at DSBC. Dot church. Uh, this is something we do in partnership with dozens of other churches from across the valley through uh, something we're a part of called the Surge Network. Uh, the lineup of speakers is really powerful. I want to encourage you uh, to be a part of that conference coming up uh, next Friday and Saturday here at DSBC. I've got a question for you. What is something that you previously believed that you later changed your mind about? What's something that you previously believed, but you later changed your mind about? I know that for me, I've, I've got a few as I've been thinking about uh, how my mind has changed over the years. If you would have told me 20 years ago that vinyl would outsell compact discs, I would have said you're crazy. And now I have and currently own more vinyl then I do compact discs. In fact, my daughter uses compact discs as decorations. <laughs> Changed my mind. It used to be that the phrase phoning it in was derogatory. You would say if you, were, uh, if you had a work meeting and you had to phone it in, it's like kind of like taking the easy way out. And now, especially in the last two years, everyone is phoning it in through Zoom. The radical revolution in uh, workplace habits and rhythms through the telework phenomenon has radically changed our, our minds collectively as what it means to show up for work. Did you guys know that Pluto is not a planet anymore? I mean, of all the things to change our minds about, I feel like planetary reality should be something that's solid, and yet the planets are changing. I keep having my mind changed. I keep experiencing new information or having new experiences, and it changes my mind. Now, as it relates to technology and the sciences and kind of cultural rhythms and practices, uh, for many of us, we, we receive these changes, and we do so with open arms oftentimes. 
But what about rethinking or having our minds changed around ultimate things? The nature of the universe, the nature of ourselves, the nature of reality, the nature of God, how we ask and answer questions like, who are we? Why are we here? What's wrong with the world? And how does it get fixed? All of these deep and profound questions, they're, they're oftentimes frustrating because we can't, we can't really apply like the scientific method to things of ultimate reality, which leaves me oftentimes frustrated because I want to know what's true, especially as it relates to who I am, who God is, what's wrong with the world, and how do we fix it. I want to know what's true. And for many of us, we're desiring to know the truth. We want to know. And we, we even get ourselves into this space where we start kind of spiraling out of control thinking, well, how do I even know anything? How do I know what's true? Is truth something I can even grasp? If, if there were such a thing as truth, would I in my limitations even be able to comprehend it? So not only are we asking what's the nature of truth, but also what's my posture towards the truth? What's my responsibility towards what's true? For some of us, we have grown up in religious traditions. I grew up in a, in a Christian religious tradition. And I was told at a very early age, here are some things that are true, they're absolutely true. But then as I grew, as I matured, as I started asking more questions, I actually changed my mind about a lot of those things, which can be very disorienting. You guys ever had that experience? This thing that seems so real, so true, so right. And then with new experience or new information, we change how we think about it. And it can be like, whoa, how do I even see the world? Is there even anything I can firmly stand on? I know that for many within our church family and the culture in general, many of us are experiencing what some would refer to as deconstruction. The idea that we've, we've got all this whole belief system constructed for us. We bring it into our lives, but then with new information or new experience, we start, we start taking apart the pieces and holding up to the light and say, is this true? And I, and I just want to say, just for a quick moment, that this, this word deconstruction, it, it's, it's kind of new for, for some of us. And a lot of times I hear it used uh, derisively, like, like we shouldn't do that. But I just want you to know, like Jesus straight up did that. Go read the Sermon on the Mount. He says things like, you've heard it said, right? This currently held belief, but I say to you. And so Jesus encourages the reformation of our thinking to be closer to the truth. When, when we have new experiences, new data, and we understand something differently, it's actually a gift to change our minds. Uh, the scripture actually talks about a God-given gift of having our minds renewed. And so the experience of discerning or understanding the truth more deeply and the experience of doing away with or getting away from false thinking or wrong thinking is a gift. As disorienting as it is, it is a gift. Now, I got to say something to you. Okay. I am hearing, uh, especially people who, like, are running for office, um, They'll say things like this, uh, I, I'm, uh, I've never changed my mind. I've never wavered. You know, you take an issue, like um, what's a really, uh, a really important issue? 
uh, fishing licenses. The cost of a fishing license. The cost of a fishing license is too high. I'm here to tell you. Now, vote for me. No. So, the cost of fishing license, right? And you get these, these people who are running for political office say, since I was 18 years old, I had a firm conviction that fishing licenses should be $27. And I've never once changed my mind. And they say those things as if it's a good thing that you've never changed your mind. In fact, we're treating the changing of our mind as something shameful, something that we ought not to do. But I'm here to tell you that when the truth comes in, the renewing of our mind is a gift. In fact, I, this is just my opinion, I think that the renewing of the constant and frequent renewing of our minds is a sign of spiritual maturity. It's a sign of growth. In every deep human relationship that you have, are you not constantly reforming your mind about the other person? Discovering new things about them? In, in the deepest, most intimate love relationships, right? You're, you're still, if you, if you ask a, a 90-year-old couple who's been together for, you know, 72 years, you say, hey, uh, do you know everything about them? The foolish answer is yes. That's usually will get you hit, right? But in every loving relationship, we're constantly renewing. So what's something that you used to believe that you later changed your mind about? As we think about truth, what is truth? What's the nature of truth? What's my relationship towards the truth? I want to invite you to receive the gifts that God has for you this morning. So this is John chapter 18. This is an encounter that Jesus has. We'll pick it up in verse 29. Jesus has this encounter. He's going through a series of trials. He's going on his way to the cross. And he's, he's, he's in a series of trials through a bunch of different courts. And he ends up in this dude named Pilate's headquarters. So Pilate is like a Roman governor. Uh, he's, he is a Roman, so he's not Jewish, but he's a Roman official. And the Jewish leaders, uh, Jesus' own people, they bring Jesus before Pilate because they want Pilate to kill Jesus. Gasp. Okay, let me I'll just do it one more time. Okay, so Jesus' own people want the Roman governor to execute Jesus. Yes, this is scandalous. Now, Jesus knows where he's headed. He is in control, and he's headed towards the cross. Jesus is headed towards the cross, and so he's standing before Pilate, and the way that Jesus engages with Pilate is powerful. I want to invite you to see it. But in this engagement with Pilate, Jesus is on the way to the cross. Okay? He's, and, and guess who has the power and authority to do it? Pilate. Okay, so he's standing before the dude who can have him executed publicly in a humiliating and excruciating way. And so at its root, this little trial scene is about truth. It's about truth. So I want to invite you in. Take a look at this. So Pilate comes out to them, to the uh, Jesus on people, and says, What charge do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man weren't a criminal, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. So they're implying Jesus is a criminal, which he is not. He's done no wrong. They said this so that Jesus' words might be fulfilled, indicating what kind of death he was going to die. 
Then Pilate went back into the headquarters, summoned Jesus, and said to him, so, so get the scene, right? So Pilate is in his headquarters. They, the, 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 uh, Jesus' own people, the religious leaders of Jesus' own people, bring him before Pilate because they want him to be executed. Okay? And Pilate doesn't seem to want to do it. Pilate seems to be like, I don't want to get this guy's blood on my hands, right? It'll beget an uprising. So probably, most likely for political reasons, Pilate doesn't want anything to do with this. And so he's trying to put it back onto these religious leaders, and they keep trying to put it back onto Pilate. And so he says to Jesus, are you the, what is it? Are you the king of whom? Now, Pilate was uh, of what uh, nation? What was he? He was a governor for what empire? Roman Empire. And the, at this time, the Roman Empire were the Jewish people's overlords. They were the occupying force. Now, when you are an occupying force, you know what you got to watch out for all the time? Uprisings. Political, military uprisings. You got to watch out. And, next, and the next time you catch an uprising, what do you do? You take out the sword and you slam it back down. Okay? Crucifixion so I want you to just want you to, well, we have the thing right up there, right? So you've got it at the center of Christianity. Our, our central icon is a symbol of crucifixion. And crucifixion is a public, humiliating, excruciating way to kill someone. The reason that you would crucify somebody, if you were Pilate, you would want to post up these crosses out in front of the city gate so that as people are coming into your city, you would be crucifying people outside, which communicates, if you cross us, we will cross you. Come on, that's, that's, that's a good line, okay? That's good, okay? Worked all month on that one, okay? Rome says, if you cross us, we will cross you. They, the cross is a symbol, in, in, for the Romans, it's a symbol of political and military power. That if you go against us, we will hang you naked outside the, the city gates. And you will spend three to five days dying publicly. So, that's, so do you know what they did to political dissidents? To people who did the uprisings? You know what they did to them? They crucified them. So let's look at the question Pilate asks. Are you the king? Are you the king? Now, if Jesus said, yes, what would Pilate do? Pilate would be like, okay, well, you know what we do with kings of, people, of upstarts is we crucify them. You know, we're going to kill you. Notice what he says. Jesus answered, are you asking this on your own or have others told you about me? It's kind of like a non-answer. And then Pilate, as an ethnocentrist uh, in, with derision, says, I'm not a Jew. Am I? Right? Jesus is treating him as if he's familiar with the goings-on, and Pilate's like, I'm not a Jew. This is your problem, Pilate replies. Let's keep going. Your own nation or your own people, your own ethnos, and the chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? Do you notice that he's still perplexed as to why they want to kill Jesus? Jesus says this. Okay, You guys got to lean into this, right? Jesus says, my what? kingdom so he was asked the question are you a king and what does he say my kingdom is not what it's not of this world it doesn't mean that it has nothing to do with this world in fact jesus entire message was that the kingdom of god is breaking into this world right so this is not, jesus is not saying 
My religion is to say a prayer so you can get forgiven, so you can go to heaven when you die. As if following Jesus has nothing to do with today. Oh, following Jesus has everything to do with today and this world. What Jesus is saying is the power of my kingdom doesn't come from this world's systems. The power of my kingdom is not brought about by a sword, it's brought about by a cross. So Jesus is looking, he knows what Pilate wants to do. And so he says to Pilate, Pilate, I, like, I'm, yeah, I'm king, not just to the Jews, but like the cosmos, right? So my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom, I love this. Oh, this is so good. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would do what? If my kingdom was a sword kingdom, then you would be dead, bro. I can raise people back to life and feed 5,000, right? Like, think about all the miracles that Jesus did. If he wanted to militarize them, he could have taken Rome, right? Like, you kill a soldier and Jesus is like, ah, 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 not dead, come on back. That's pretty good if you're trying to do, like, an invading army. But he says, not so in my kingdom. Now, get the scene. Who's in power? At least, what does it look like? There's Pilate, and here's Jesus. And yet, who's in power? He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my, so Jesus is like standing there like naked, chained, and Pilate is in all of his you know, situation. And Jesus says, this is so punk rock. He says, yeah, if my kingdom was of this world, you'd be dead. My people would be fighting you. But as it is, my kingdom is what? It's not from here. The power, it's not that it has nothing to do with here, or it has everything to do with here. But it's that the power source is not of this world. It's the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of this world. So Pilate, again, what's he trying to do, right? What does he say? So, is that a yes? You are a king then? <laughs> I love this. Jesus puts the words back into Pilate's mouth. You say that I'm a king. And I was born for this. Notice the language. I have come into the world for what? To testify to the truth. Now we're getting to it. Here you have this engagement between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of God. And now we get to what is true. Jesus says, my mission, I was born for this, my mission is to proclaim and to testify to what? The truth. We're asking ourselves the question, what is the truth? Can we know the truth? And if we can, what is our posture towards it? Watch this now. Everyone who is of the truth does what? And now how does Pilate respond? What is truth? Is that not a question for today? What is truth? Now, okay, watch this. Remember the scene. Jesus is standing there, chained, on his way to what? The cross. Pilate is there. The religious leaders, the synagogue leaders are yelling and screaming, like, you got to kill this guy, Pilate. 
Pilate's like, I don't really want to kill this guy. Uh, let me see if I can figure out why. So he, Pilate engages Jesus. Pilate has all the power, right? At least Pilate has all the earthly power. But Jesus is standing there chained. They have this discussion about the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world. They have a power discussion. But then Jesus pivots it to a truth discussion. He says, I've come to proclaim the truth. And anyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. I want you to lean in. So, so check this out. Jesus, in the Gospel of John, uh, truth, it's one of the most... Um, Truth is one of the most frequently talked about or discussed topics in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 14, Jesus says this, I am the way, the truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. So I'm the way. So you want to walk a certain way? Walk my way. I am the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for me. So what does Jesus say? He says, you want to know what's true? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Now watch this. He says in John chapter 8, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples of mine. You will know the truth. If you're disciples of mine, you will know the truth, and the truth will, anybody know it? So Jesus says, if you're my disciples, if you follow me, if you follow me, you will know the truth. And, and what will set you free? Okay, all right, let's get after it here. Jesus frequently speaks about the truth, not as if it is a proposition, but as if it is a person. And Jesus takes on that name of truth and places it onto himself. He says, I am the truth. If you want to be my follower, if you want to be my disciple, if you follow me, you will know the truth. And what? The truth will set you free. He's not saying if you adhere to a set of propositions, you will be free. But no, if you follow me, the truth, you will be free. So at the end of the day, what the gospel authors, especially John, what is his argument? His argument is that the philosophers and the religious elite spend their days arguing about propositions about the truth. But the gospel of John, the author of the gospel of John says, no, no, you want to know the truth? Look at Jesus. Truth is not a proposition. It's a person. Now, here's, here's, here's why I think this is, oh, this is so good news. Uh, can I let you in on a secret? You're wrong. Right? Like, you're wrong. Like, about something, Right? Like, there's something you currently believe that in your limited brain, in your limited thought process, you actually believe a wrong thing, right? Okay. Are you guys lying to me? Who, anybody got it all dialed in? Yeah, right. Like, we all have wrong things, and we're constantly changing our minds. So here's the deal. Here's the good news. If ultimate truth is simply a set of propositions that I have to put into here, and if I get one of them wrong, then I'm not free. If knowing the truth sets me free, and truth is merely propositions, I'm bound. And so i got to scurry about and try to make sure I get all the right thoughts up in here. But if truth is a person, my relationship towards it is not here, it's here. Which means, oh man, Jesus loves you so much. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. 
And he knows all your dumb thoughts. And he knows all the ways that you're wrong. And he says, follow me. By following me, you will know the truth. And even though you believe a bunch of not truth, at the end of the day, following him is what leads to life and life abundant. This, this is good news because I'm imperfect. Shock. Gasp across the crowd. I, 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 I am horrified to think that my connection to the king and creator of the cosmos is based on my mental capacities to adhere to a set of propositions. And yet it's not. Ultimate truth took on flesh and became one of us. And so, yes, we should constantly be renewing our minds. I, I want to believe what's true, not so that I can have a connection to my creator, but so I can live wise and lovingly. So I can walk the way of Jesus. Oh my gosh, this is so good. Okay, check this out. Everyone, so you want to be a person of the truth? Okay, here's what you do. Listen to Jesus. Okay? Okay, so this, so I love the creeds. I like doctrine. I'm with you. Like many of you, I like Bible trivia games. Okay? But if you want to be a person of the truth, what is our posture towards the truth? Watch this. Is it to defend the truth? I'm going to fight for the truth. Well, if truth is a resurrected uh, God in the flesh, do I have to defend it? Like, friends, Jesus does not need lawyers. Now, I'm not saying anything bad about lawyers. What I'm saying is Jesus doesn't need you to defend him. He beat death. Like, he rose from the grave. So my posture is not to, you know, fight for the truth and defend the truth. Here's what it is. Listen to this. It's to listen to Jesus, to hear his voice. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and my sheep, what? Hear my voice. It's so, oh my gosh, it is so exhausting to try to fight for the truth all the time. And Jesus doesn't call us to do that. You know what he calls us to do? To rest in him. To follow him. To listen to his voice. There's this old school word, and, and I, I, like, I actually like it. It's the word abide. Any King James? Anyone got a King James in the house? Okay, so abide's going to be there. Any big Lebowski fans? Okay, thank you. Uh, the dude abides. Got it? Okay. So they mean the same thing. So to abide is to remain in and to rest in. So I just, if, if, if Jesus is opening up for an embrace, abiding is to collapse into that and to remain in and to rest in. Hearing him, listening to his voice. So at the end of the day, I, there is absolute truth. By the way, anyone who tells you that there's not absolute truth, absolutely, is absolutely making an absolute truth statement. 
And, and, we're in, and, and we're in this season where we feel like, we, so for some of us, we can feel ashamed or afraid to say things like, I, I believe in absolute truth. And I would just encourage you, absolute truth at the end of the day is made known to us in Jesus. And it's not propositions, it's a person. And so I don't know everything there is to know about Jesus. In fact, a lot of the stuff I think about Jesus probably needs reforming. And so I'm grateful to him and to his spirit who's living within me and living within you that, that as we listen to the spirit of God, as we listen, that he continues to renew our minds. It's a gift. This idea that, that there's no absolute truth, it sounds humble, but it's not. I'd like to, like to just argue for a moment with you. Uh, you guys ever heard of the blind men and the elephant? Leslie Newbegin tells this story. He was a missionary, to, a British missionary to India. And he said that frequently people would say things like, oh, you know, there's no such thing as absolute truth. It, it, all truth is relative, it's subjective, and it's kind of like the blind man and the elephant. So the, the way that the story goes is, is that five blind men are wandering through uh, the jungle, and they all at the same time stumble up across an elephant. And one of the men has a hold of the nose, and he says, an elephant is kind of like a big snake. And another man uh, comes across one of the legs, and he says, no, no, an elephant is like a big tree trunk. And another person, uh, one of the other men, walks through and, and stumbles across the elephant, and he places his hands up on the side, and he says, no, 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 an elephant's like a barn. And so the parable goes, each one of these men have some of the truth, but they don't have what? All of the truth. But here's the rub. Newbegin points this out. In order to tell that story, what do you have to see? The whole elephant. You see, the very foundation of that parable is that you, the storyteller, actually get to see the whole thing. And so the statement, there are no absolutes, is an absolute claim that says, I happen to know all of the truth claims, and I know that they're all relative. In an attempt at being humble, it's actually quite arrogant. Now, here's the deal. You want to talk about, some of you are like, you want to talk about arrogance, let me talk to you about Christians. I know, okay? A lot of them are in this church. I got you, fam, I know. And I got to tell you, Jesus never promotes arrogance. He never promotes pride. In fact, Jesus is constantly saying to his followers, humility, kindness, grace, love, joy, peace understanding, self-control. Be marked by these. And so I'm with you. But a Jesus follower who believes in absolute truth ultimately believes that that truth is made known to us not by propositions, but through a person. Namely, God in the flesh, Jesus. So if ultimate truth is made known to us in and through Jesus, then our posture is that one of listening and remaining with. This is beautiful. And I, oh man. Do you know that, that our relationship with Jesus is not based on our cognitive abilities? Thanks be to God. Which means that even... Even those among us who have difficulty putting words together or processing thoughts can rest in 
the truth and know the truth just as well as you or I. Which means this. There's no such thing as secret truth or special truth or truth just for the elites. Jesus comes to save all and comes in relationship with all. The truth of who Jesus is is available to all. And so our posture is to listen to him and to abide in him. And so I'm gonna give us a moment to do that. In just a few moments, we're gonna take communion. Communion is an act of remembering. When we take the bread and we take of the juice, we remember Jesus' broken body and shed blood for us. Before we do that, however, I'd like to read to you some of the words of Jesus out of the Gospel of John. I'd like to read from just a couple of different passages, and I want to encourage you to take this moment to do exactly what Jesus told Pilate, to listen to the words of truth. So if you would, we're not going to do anything weird. I'm just going to read it and ask that you would reflect on it. But if you would just, um, just take in maybe a deep breath, let it out. If it's helpful to close your mind, uh, close your eyes, to allow your mind to just be at peace and rest, I want to invite you even to, to excuse the distractions and the things that are coming next. I invite you to Excuse the worries. They'll be there waiting for us when we're done. Just in the quiet of this moment, would you listen to the words of Jesus, truth incarnate? Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house, there are many rooms, and if it, if it were not, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to where I am going. The Lord, Tom, the Lord uh, said, Thomas said to the Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus told Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. He continues, as the Father has loved me, I also love you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. I have told you these things so that your joy may be complete. There are many questions there are many frustrations even perhaps anxieties as it relates to 
What is true? What is our posture towards the truth? And Jesus knows. And Jesus knows you more deeply than you know yourself. And even in this moment, he is present with us now. And he calls out to each one of us, abide with me. Rest in my love. Follow me that your joy may be complete. In a moment, we'll take communion. And as we move into that space together, would you pause and reflect on the words of truth and what it means to abide with him? Would you take this moment to reflect that? I know that there may be many questions, even frustrations. I would invite you, if you'd like to talk more about what we've talked about today, uh, I'll be here at 11 o'clock uh, in this room for a time of question and response around the sermon. If there's something maybe that's still bugging you or still rolling around or maybe just something that you'd like to share, I'd love to have you join me here at 11. But I want to invite you to put those just on pause for a moment. to receive this truth. Jesus loves you more than you can ever imagine. He's given his life for you. He knows you more intimately than you know yourself. And he calls out to you, abide in me. In the midst of the frustrations and the pain, the fear, shame, the doubt, he simply says, rest in me. Communion is something that we do together. As a bunch of misfits from all different walks of life, bound together not by our common affinities, but bound together by the love and grace of God made known to us through Jesus. It's an act of communion, union with God and union with one another. The taking of the bread signifies 
broken body of Jesus. And the cup, the fruit of the vine, is a symbol of his blood that was poured out for us. And so when we take together, we eat and we drink in remembrance of him. And so I'm gonna pray. I invite you to join me in this prayer and then we'll share communion together. Let us pray. Lord God, in this act, we recognize that we are called to live according to your new covenant as citizens of your kingdom, this kingdom of truth, living and practicing your values on earth as it is in heaven. And as we prepare our hearts now in this moment, we recognize that we often fail in this regard. And so, Lord, we pray and we confess that we have not always lived according to your kingdom. We have often propagated injustice and evil. We have often fostered disunity, practicing favoritism, elevating our own concerns and preferences over those of others. Moreover, we have often failed to show hospitality, love, and grace. We have often not lived the fruit of your spirit. We confess these things before you now. And we repent, we turn from these sins, and we turn back to you, Jesus, knowing that you will never leave us nor forsake us. We ask that your spirit would continue to shape us more into your image. As we take of this communion today, Lord, we proclaim your finished work on the cross, your death and your resurrection. And we cling to you, knowing that you are the one who brings salvation, forgiveness, and reconciliation. In you, all things will one day be restored. And in you, we find truth. We pray these things knowing that you love us are powerful to fulfill your promises towards us. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, saying to his disciples, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you take and eat? the same way he took of the cup, saying, this is my blood, the new covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you take and drink? Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks. We give you thanks, Lord, for this invitation to abide in you, to abide in the truth, and in so doing, that the truth would set us free. And so we turn to you, we cling to you, Jesus. In our doubts, in our anguish, in our frustration, in our anger, in our fear, in our shame, Lord, would you bring your healing touch. Draw us nearer still to you. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray, amen.